This is where normal comes to die. Mediocrity meets its final demise, and the status quo is unabashedly dismantled. Welcome to Reinvention Radio. Now, here's your host, Steve Olsher. Alrighty, welcome to another edition here of Reinvention Radio. Steve Olsher hanging out with the... Lovely Mary Goulet. Hello again, Mary Goulet. Hello. You are a little hesitant. Uh, I'm just looking at your big, beautiful smile this morning. And Richie Ote is uh, hanging out. And actually, in the other studio, because we've got a packed house here in uh, Studio One, so Richie's actually hanging out in Studio Two. But I can still see you over there. What is up, Richie Ote? How are What's you, going on? How is everybody? All right, all right. Wait, wait, it's holding it down in the studio over there. And uh, we are actually joined in studio. Somebody's got an alarm going. Let's uh, shut that down. I think they might actually be in Studio two there maybe i'm not sure uh but wherever it is we'll get it shut down and welcome to reinvention radio as we continue the series here on reinventing homelessness and uh joined in studio how do you guys pronounce your last name because i know joe and denise i'm gonna absolutely butcher it so how do you uh how do you how do you pronounce the last name it's pa just just say it it's pulsivic pulsivic yeah i would have totally butchered that so paul Pulsivic. Okay, got it. Pulsivic. I got it. That's how I'll, I'll phonetically spell it here. Is that Polish? It's Croatian. Croatian. Transliteration okay. of Pavlicevich. Pavlicevich, which, which is means why what? I go by Joe Photo for my business name for so <laughs> there you long. Go. Keep, it, right. keep it super, super simple. All right, so we got a lot of ground to cover here and really do appreciate you guys coming in. Uh, boy, I, I tell you. We've done uh, we've done a lot of interesting interviews uh, over the course of the years that we've done reinvention radio, uh, and this this particular series on homelessness uh, has certainly been one of the uh, the most impactful for sure for me that uh, mm-hmm. that we've done. I, I know Mary, we've been talking about it, and I know you feel the same way, and mm-hmm. Richie, you as well. And uh, and what a you know, really interesting, powerful way to end this series, uh, and by having you guys here join us in studio. So. I have to I have to admit that I'm uh, really um, both intrigued uh, and super curious in terms of how you guys got into the the work that you're doing, uh, and of course applaud you for the work that you're that you're doing with the the dirty the, well what they call themselves the dirty kids and yes. uh, and, and others and you guys are actually going into the homeless communities. Uh, but this this is a I guess for lack of a better term sort of a, a fairly new undertaking a fairly new initiative for you guys in terms of, I know you've been doing it for a few years already, but this isn't like, this wasn't your life's work before this, right? So yeah. you were doing other things and, and you've been doing this work now for about five years, you said four or five years, mm-hmm. right? So what were you doing before you kind of dove into the, the homeless community in the way that you have? Well, I've been a love coach for well, since 2004 mm. And uh, in ministry, I'm also an ordained minister and working within a church community with um, whatever the problems were that arose, which are typically relationship issues. I mean, that's everywhere we go, everything we do is relationship-based. So that's what I was doing before that, married for 33 years and raising three sons. You guys are married for 33 years? No. No, No. I was going to say. Another story. Another story. Gotcha. Gotcha. Relationships. Relationships, Second half of life story, Second half of life. Okay. Well, and interestingly enough, even connected with what we do now, it was an addiction story. So, and and connected to the kids that we work with on the street is the addiction story. Mm -hmm. So, we'll get more into that. Yeah, for sure. And, And Joe, what were you doing Sort of in a, in a in a past life, so to speak, before you you dove into this work. For me, Steve, I've always I've always loved photography. 
I always knew I wanted to photograph women. And I, I began to photograph weddings for friends. Mm. And that turned into an amazing career, 20 plus years of photographing weddings around the world. Oh, wow. And wow. As, as I came into a divorce five years ago, uh, I had to reevaluate what the happiness that I had with the wedding commitment in should I really be at people's weddings? Yeah. You know, so. Hey. Yeah, that's uh, that's probably a conversation for uh, for another day as yeah. well, right? <laughs> and there's a lot of a lot of ground we can cover here. But uh, first, first, I just want to understand how how did you guys connect and then make the decision together to go into this this very interesting to 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 a lot of people yeah. scary yeah. world. I, I mean, you were doing. I mean, let, let's admit it, Joe. I mean, you know, weddings is kind of like that's that's the that's the happy side of life. I mean, if you're not happy at a wedding, when are you going to be happy, right? right? I mean, right. like, right. if you can't fake it for that for that day to be happy, like like that's going to typically be a, a very happy occasion. And then you're doing love, relationship coaching, and so on. That's, that's all positivity and and so on, right? So. Right. Like, I mean, you guys are sort of like at the top end of the spectrum of, I mean, granted, you had challenges when you were a coach and you're working with people and helping them through that and so on. Mm-hmm. But reality is, I mean, it's it's a very different mm, sort of side of the, the happiness spectrum, if you will, right. in terms of where you were playing. Did you guys just, how did you get into this work where you decided to go into, uh, I mean, it, it's, it's a scary desperate uh, despair abounds i mean like it's it's the it's the it's the polar opposite of of kind of where you guys were playing yes so i'd like to start sure just just for this little plug uh we didn't choose this Mm. it chose us and when we started on our trip we we sold everything that we had we bought an rv we just wanted to go play and travel and see america and have a good time, mm-hmm. you know, just a retirement kind of vacation, extended vacation, yeah. I guess. And before we left, I said to Joe, you know, we really don't have anything compelling us as far as giving back. Like, there's nothing that calls out to us. Neither one of us have had anything like that. Mm-hmm. Except, uh, and so I just said to God, look, we're available. So if there's anything you'd like us to do while we're out there. What a question. Mm. Right. <laughs> and that's literally how we started on our trip with no intention really other than to keep our ears and our eyes open for whatever so the, was needed so the intention was you, you guys bought an rv you sold all your belongings so it was kind of like let's go in this nomadic type style you made the choice to let go of your home i mean so ostensibly you were homeless well, when you made the decision that's clever Hey, I'm smart that way. So, but seriously, like, I mean, you you almost embrace sort of, and and if you've been following the series, you know that we have found that a certain percentage of the people, I haven't found this personally, our guests have shared this with us, yeah. uh, a certain percentage of people on the streets are homeless by choice. Yes. And so you guys ostensibly were in that category. I mean, granted, they had a you roof. Had, they had a, a roof. A moving roof. A yes. moving roof. You had the means to support yourselves, mm-hmm. but you were homeless by choice, so to speak. Interesting. Yes. Go ahead, Joe. Well, what what I discovered through this experience was I used to think I needed a lot of material things to make me happy. So, yes, Steve, when you say uh, 
you know, we were kind of on top of the world in Southern California, coastal Orange County. Yes, living really amazing lives. There was still an emptiness mm-hmm. that was in me that that I I didn't know how else to find. And so, when when my wife asked me to move out, my ex-wife asked me to move out. I, you know, we we, we were doing really well, and we had other property. And I moved in with a friend into a one-bedroom place. And I recognized that all my favorite stuff, material stuff, could fit in one bedroom. And that was a shocking revelation to me because mm. I, I had previously thought I needed homes around the world to be able to travel to. So that's and a camera, that's a laptop. My computer, that's right, and my photo books mm-hmm. and, and my photos from my kids growing up. So mm. that was my most important things. And then because I was moving out of weddings where I used to have to book weddings six months or a year in advance because sure. I knew I was moving out of that, my, my whole 2014 was open, Denise said, baby, what do you want to do this year? And I said, let's travel. So we bought a motorhome. Uh, within a couple of weeks, we left on Valentine's Day 2014 because I knew it would be a good beginning to our love story. Mm-hmm. And I said, all right, where's the biggest party in the country that we can go to? Where's the first place we can go where I can yeah. photograph all the craziness? And so just so we can Mardi set Gras. the stage for folks. I mean, is that kind of how you guys are historically? Like you're, you're Burning Man people, you're, you're Mardi Gras people, you're like Coachella people. Like that's, that's your thing? Like I am. I brought Denise into ah. that. Gotcha. Yeah, right? <laughs> I'm yes. having fun. I'm just along for the ride. Yeah. It's an awesome ride. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's, uh, uh, again, a conversation for another day. Mm-hmm. But just to kind of set the stage for where you guys were at. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so you go to New Orleans. Yep. Uh, you had, had you had you ever been to Mardi Gras? I hadn't. So, Denise, you had never been to Mardi Gras. Mm-hmm. Joe, I assume you had been there a couple mm-hmm. times. Yeah. It looks like with that smile yeah, at least look a at few it. times. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so you're like, hey, let's go down there. Let's hang out. Let's check it out. And you're down there. And what happens? We were down there to photograph the belligerence, all the people, the craziness that happens. Well, you like photographing time. women. I, so. I love photographing women, but and it's and it's all it's the opposite of wedding photography. Wedding photography, the weddings I was photographing, the events are clean and beautiful and pristine. Stage, stage, yeah. yeah, and real life gritty stuff. So I. Denise had bought me this free hugs T-shirt. I'm known to give incredibly long and deep hugs. Mm-hmm. And some street kids the first day were like, hey, I'll take a hug, and responded to us in a way that began to move my heart. And I actually put my camera down, and I just then for the next four days wore the same shirt, was hugging people, hardly did any photographs. And we left there after about four days. We left to go visit some family in Texas, and we we're going to loop around and visit some other family. And God said, Joe, I want you to go back and start photographing these dirty kids. And I was like, oh, God, come on. Really? Like, we just bought the motorhome. We want to travel. We want to go, you know, see America's national parks and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, well, if, all right, we'll, we'll go back, um, spend a couple days there. If the community is open to it, then I'll, I'll proceed. And the community that I thought would be closed off was wide open and welcomed us into the intimacy of their experience. Mm-hmm. Now, this I mean, this is not a, a derogatory term when you're saying it, because we'll be talking about dirty kids throughout here. So this is not a derogatory term that you guys coined for them. This is actually a term that they coined for themselves. Yes. Is that, yes. yes. So, so are there different... Mm, are there different branches of of dirty kids throughout the country? Is it just like one? They're a group family. That tr- it's a family. They're a family. Yeah, 
if the dirty kids so so just to help the audience understand who, yeah. how to identify these people they they're not they're not children these are uh somewhere between um late teens to mid 30s and then the population that the 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 age numbers just drop off suddenly mm-hmm. so they have a backpack almost always have a dog with them and they tra- they either hitchhike they don't have carts they're not they call the people that stay in one place home bums. So they're not the people that are just homeless in, in your community. They travel through. So they're just always passing through. So the backpack and the dog are the giveaways mm-hmm. to who these kids are. Mm-hmm. And they almost always have a unique – and they love their dirt. And they have a – because it helps identify them with one another. And they like um, – they like their clothes to be a little bit unique in that there's almost always patches. Mm-hmm. They collect along the way from p- other dirty kids, give them patches or whatever. So just to be clear, I mean, do these, do these dirty kids, do they actually have money and they are homeless by choice or they are, they are completely uh, w- w- like, how do, do they, they feed the dog? <laughs> well, people do. They say that everything that they need comes to them. So whether that's whether that's asking for leftovers in New Orleans, mm-hmm. people asking leftovers, clever signs on that they will write or draw on cardboard, or just you know spanging. They call it spanging, which is flying a sign uh, where where people would be to donate money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Steve, I would like to address this homeless by choice. Yeah. Idea. Yeah. So yes, they are homeless by choice in that the, in one sense they. Um, almost every story that I heard from these kids, and we interviewed a couple hundred of them, uh, their story is abuse. So they come from homes that are very broken and poor and drug abuse and physical abuse and great neglect Mm. goes on. And so homeless by choice, I think, is not is not a good um, description of where they find themselves. Mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons why they're homeless by choice and one of the things that they would communicate to the public is that they prefer their freedom over being controlled by another adult or what they call authority. We don't want to be controlled by authority. Well, authority betrayed them severely. So there's no trust factor there. Mm-hmm. And they, f- they, f- they choose the elements to be out in the elements and suffer from that uh, and shame rather than be under somebody else's power and control that hurt them. You know, that sounds like they have a tremendous amount of pride, kind of. It's with not. That, it, no, not in the negative sense of pride, but I'm going to take, I can take care of myself. Mm, they have had to since they were yeah. really young. Well, and I had worked with um, Stand Up For Kids, which is a teen drop-in center. And they, when I first started with them, they mentioned they're safer on the streets than they are in their own homes. Right. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. So this seems like kind of a movement, a different way of being homeless. But why not get their own home? I guess is the question then that I would have. Like, is, is it, do they, you guys, Joe and Denise, you guys chose to, to get an RV. You chose to to not have a you know rent and and be in one place on a consistent basis. Like you want to be able to move and move freely and so on. But uh, but you're in a different position, right? right? So why why and 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 have had a chance to thumb through uh, a portion of the book that you guys created this dirty kids uh, photo book for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. which is amazing. I mean the photographs are. are 
unbelievable and Poignant. really yeah yeah just amazing uh you were able to capture joe you i assume these are all your photos yeah right mm-hmm. so you're really able to capture the essence of who so many of these uh, dirty kids are uh really just an incredible photo book um and we'll give out a url later for folks to be able to support that and uh and and how to get that book and, and they should folks should grab that book it's uh, amazing um but you know, part of the stereotype, part of the stigma, I think that goes hand in hand with when we see folks who are homeless, who, when I look at the photos, these are people who have all their limbs, right? These are people who appear to have all their capacities. I mean, they, mentally, they may have issues, demons that they've dealt with and, and, you know, abuse and so on. But when you look at people like this, and this is part of the stereotype, I think, that we have to get past. And when we look at these people, we're like, yeah, they look pretty normal. Like, they don't look like, you know, a, this is not a Vietnam vet who's rolling around in a chair with no legs and, you know, and he's just trying to slide literally from point A to point B with his hands, yes. you know? So we, so we see these guys and gals and we look at them and we go, uh, they could get jobs. They could pool their resources and get uh, an apartment, right? So why, why not? Like, why not get a job? Why not use... Like you said, you get a calling from God. I'm sure these folks get the same downloads, right? I mean, God's telling them something, and and, and I and I can't believe that God would ever be sitting here saying, "Suffer on the streets." Yeah, no. So I I, I love the analogy that you used with veterans um, because I'm going to compare it to PTSD. Okay, you cannot see PTSD on veterans that come home, but they are just as seriously impacted as a man or woman who has lost a limb, that we can look at the injury on their body. My son was in a vehicle that was blown up by um, an IED bomb, and his closest friend was burned from head to toe. So you can look at him and have a tremendous amount of compassion, right? Right, Because you see the wound. Right. Well, we'd like to invite people to look at these kids and see the wound. How they look on the outside and the choices that they're making to live in absolute poverty and um, the, and these really uncomfortable elements. I mean, most of yeah. us are committed to comfort. Yeah, they're committed to not. It's to, Maslow's to, hierarchy. I mean, yeah, you gotta. You yeah, know, ex- you you want the baseline hierarchy of needs. Exactly. Well, this isn't part of theirs, and I believe that it's because it's a reflection of who they think they are on the inside and what they are deserving of. Mm. So I think um, a really good uh, transition would be to go into his daughter's story because after we started this project, his adopted daughter went into the streets and using drugs and became one of our dirty kids. Mm -hmm. Wow. So, well, let's let uh, Joe, how would you answer that? Let me just let you answer that though. In terms of, you, I mean, both of you obviously have been in these communities. You've been able to be with them. You get to know them. You've photographed. They trust you. You've, they've let you in uh, as a part of you know of their quote unquote family here. Mm-hmm. Why? Why would you say, Joe, that there so many of them who again on on the surface, if you look at them, I mean, they look, you know, look, I'm, and I'm not trying to downplay the abuse that has taken place in in those homes and the PTSD that they may be suffering from. Uh, but reality, reality is statistically, if we look at where people are in terms of the atrocities that they've had to endure, far more people have had to endure some sort of abuse in their life, whether it's physical, emotional, sexual, et cetera, than haven't. So one could argue, I mean, I guess if we probably went deep enough into your stories, 
there's probably something there, right? And so the question is, do we then put that as out, out as as a crutch, so to speak, that we allow them to lean on, where that then defines who they are moving forward, as opposed to helping them re um, sort of engage with society, if you will, in a in a, in a positive, powerful way that serves them, so that they can use their God given gifts in, in a way other than I just have to survive. So how how would you address that, Joe? Well, I think that many of the kids. I don't know that they would themselves say that they're just surviving. Um, I think that for them, it's an experience of life with little responsibility. Mm -hmm. And with that little responsibility, because they don't have a specific location or job, it gives them a lot of freedom to have adventures. So, uh, for myself, what yeah. I recognize is I, as a few steps above where they're at, as a gypsy traveler myself, I have a heart to travel and see the world and have experiences, and I'm valuing that more now than the material stuff and sure. the material comfort. Sure. One of the so specifically with with these kids, they're choosing to have this experience uh, as. Uh, as an escape from the pain that they've experienced prior. So they're, they're creating their own community, and that community is, is living a life that could be considered a model for how a lot of spiritual people, when they look at Jesus, it's a lot the same way I think Jesus lived. He did, lived with few possessions, without a home, mm-hmm. traveled and connected deeply. So I know that the last couple of weeks we've been talking a lot about homelessness as a problem yeah. to be solved in some way. And we have, we have some ideas on that too. Sure. But in this particular case, I think the, the message that we would love the listeners to really embrace is simply to acknowledge the dignity of another human in front of them mm-hmm. rather than ignore them. Uh, the, the ignoring them and walking past them uh, is probably the most harmful thing that that they experience on the street. It's just one more confirmation that they're invisible, uh, that they don't make, that they don't matter. So one of the things that Denise and I do, we have a lot that we could teach them, but we simply sit with them on the sidewalk, in the in the dirt, in the, on the grass, in the park, wherever it happens to be, wherever we find them. We sit with them and we ask them questions. We ask them about their lives. We ask, we, we, we hug them and we hold them and we will sometimes drink with them or buy them food. And, mm-hmm. and we really just want to connect on a humanity level with them, yeah. not to try to change them, not at all to try to change them, just to try to understand what their experience is. And that ties in so beautifully with my daughter's story because my daughter... Mackenzie, who is 22, I adopted when she just before she turned three, and uh, when she turned 18, she checked herself out of school. She went on an experience to find her birth mom, and then that ended up um, she found herself on the streets and kind of checking out of her pain. Now, as a father with someone on the streets, of course, I'm concerned and alarmed, and having to manage my own anxiety about that. I just kept giving it to God, like, God, 
when she's ready, when she hits bottom, then something else may change. And so she hit bottom in this past June. She got an infection and put her in the hospital and she had a couple of brain abscesses Mm. and she had a stroke and she had to have open heart surgery and a valve replaced. And that was a very scary place for her to be. And that shifted her out of I don't want to do that anymore, Dad. If you're willing to support me, I'm willing to do your program. Mm-hmm. Nice. So we God bless. So now she lives guys. with us in, in our, our little 200 little square feet motorhome. Yeah. Is it a C class? It's or an A class, like a okay. bus. Yeah, 32 foot. <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah, Winnebago. Yeah. Yeah, you can make it work. Right. Um, to your point about, I love your perspective because Jesus did send out the apostles. He said, "Don't take anything with you. Just no sandals." Go house to house, and who receives you? Terrific. Mm-hmm. Feed what they give you. I mean, they, they, if they feed you, take it and eat it. Mm-hmm. And if they rebuff you, you just dust, just shake the dust off your feet and move on to the next. Mm-hmm. So my question, listening to you guys, do you think that this is, because you say the age drops off at 30, do you think this is their way of healing themselves by doing this and creating their own little village of and community that somehow they do evolve and and heal some of their pains i cuz that's that's a really good question i don't really know the answer to that i think it is the way that they create a sense of belonging mm-hmm. um, relationships don't work out on the street so they, that's one of the reasons why they have their dog, and their dog is such a priority for them because the dog never leaves them, yeah. right? And, they, and they're always on leashes. So they, the kids know if my dog's not on a leash, the, the uh, police are going to come and take the dog away. So mm-hmm. they know that they have to have them on leash. But their pain – so when I said PTSD, um, what – what I've noticed that has happened is these kids are, they're medicating out there. If anybody wants to give some of these kids money, their hesitation is, oh, they're just going to go buy a drink. Yeah, they probably are. They're probably going to buy a drink or a drug because they're in so much pain and they have no options. Mm-hmm. There's nowhere to go. There's nobody to call. There's nothing. There's no hope. Yeah, but it's or a catch 22 also, right? Because aren't they not open to receiving that help i I mean i i I would venture to guess when you guys are talking to them or doing a lot of listening but then if something triggers for you and it's just like geez hey there is a resource for you i'm sure at least at some point over these years you've said hey this is a resource that is available to you and then you know by choice they probably have said well thank you but no thank you so, you know, it, again, it's, it perpetuates this, this problem, right? I mean, the, and, and the concern, the stereotype is if I give you money, you're going to go out and you're going to do bad things with it. So I'm not going to give you money. And you're saying, well, it's true <laughs> that, that a lot of them are numbing their pain and a lot of them are taking those, you know, the, the, when someone begs for money, they're, they're mm-hmm. taking that money and they're going out and they're, instead of buying themselves a nice meal or getting themselves shelter or going, you know, to do whatever they can do, they are, in fact, using those funds in a way that doesn't serve them well. So Maybe for a time being? Yeah. Because you say that the age drops off at 30. So what happens to these kids? Like, your daughter was a unique situation mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. turned her around and got her off the streets. Mm-hmm. I mean, do these kids 
see this as their forever lifestyle or just they're only looking right in they, front of they them. really only have the capacity to look right in front of them. That's a prefrontal cortex mechanism that we can look into the future with the consequences of our choices. That's why they don't think it'll ever happen to them. So I, Mackenzie, didn't think if I continue doing drugs and this lifestyle, I'm going to end up either dead from an overdose, although people were dying all around her, or, uh, or I'm going to end up in the hospital for some reason. Mm-hmm. Like that's... Uh, it's a problem also with the brain that's not functioning properly. They're more apt to be running from the reptilian yes. brain, right? In this moment, survival. Yeah. Yeah. So what happens mm. to them? Well, we brought two of them with us. Mm-hmm. Oh. So we carry the ashes of two of our kids that um, we had an amazing experience with. Uh, this is Zoe, and she was um, 22 or 23. And she was murdered uh, on the street. And then this is Joshua, and he died of complications from alcoholism. And so wait, so just so, so listeners are clear. So we've got a couple of urns here. Mm-hmm. Is With that ashes? All, yeah. Are, are those all of the ashes from no. these? Two? No, it's no, a, a portion. portion. These yeah, are from gonna... their family. So his um, Joe did a gallery show of the Dirty Kids Project um, to raise awareness and. We dedicated it to Zoe. She had passed away recently, and her father uh, drove down for the event and brought her mm-hmm. ashes with it with him. Mm-hmm. So, and just so we're all clear, what? And I know you're saying your goal here is just to to listen and to be supportive and do whatever you can do for this community. But is even beyond that, though, there there has to be, or maybe there doesn't have to be, it's some sort of agenda or any like. Why are you doing this? <laughs> like seriously, why are you doing this? It's not this? a mental process. Why are we doing this? It's such like, what do you a, hope to what do you hope question. to happen out of the work that you're doing where you're going into these communities? I mean, is there is there a hope? Yes. Yes, there's yes. A, and there is an agenda. And it's very clear for us. We just haven't had the visibility. So thank you so much for this opportunity. Yeah. But for us, it's compassion. So we want people to see who these people are that uh, that have chosen this lifestyle so let's play that out so we become compassionate then what yeah so then you give them kindness you're you give them dignity you have a conversation you smile at them i just walked by a park bench with a guy sitting on it and his head was down most homeless people you'll see rarely will make eye contact with you unless they're needing to ask you for money Mm -hmm. and so his head was down and just as i got to him he looked at me and i said hi brother how's your day and he goes hi it's good i think thank you and and then i said well that's awesome and i kept walking he said hey lady thank you for saying hi to me Mm. we have we take high for granted. We take how are you for granted yeah. when somebody says it to us, but not in their world because they don't matter. Joe has an image, one of the most compelling images on uh, this website that is two of our kids are sitting on the ground and we're in the French Quarter and people are walking past and, and he took it from a very low angle and all you see are their legs and the kids are looking up toward their faces like, Mm-hmm. Please see me, and he titled that "Invisible." Mm-hmm. Yeah, you guys are crushing me. Out Good. of the homeless stories that we've heard and the interviews, this one's taking on a different depth for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I've heard about the invisibility factor, 
But you guys, the way you're describing, wow. So, I, 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 and I guess the question then is: Are we are we trying to get them to subscribe to our way of being? Not not you, not you guys, not 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 Joe and Denise. But I mean, mm-hmm. like as a society, are do you do you think that's part? In other words, maybe they're the smart ones. You know what I mean? Like maybe maybe they've got it right, and and we've got it wrong. Right. Big smiles over here. Right. Tell me what is your thought about that? Joe? So, yeah, please. Okay, I I have a poem. I have a spoken word piece. It's about three minutes. That from the kids' perspective, would you like to hear it? Not all of it because we don't have that much time. Okay. But give us like a okay. taste, like uh, a taste. So you you had asked like, um, so the end is isn't it crazy? I just may have the answer. Mm-hmm. Word on the street is that we are all one, a big, messy family with the Father and Son and infinite love. Yes, the Spirit is moving to rejoin what is separate. Dropping our judgments may take a while. Pardon me, ma'am. Can you just spare a smile? Mm. Wow. So... You've been doing this for how long and how on a fundamental spiritual level has it changed you individually and as a couple Such a great question. or added deeply? Yeah, very deeply. Um, it's been it's been a long time passion for me to stand in my calling as a spiritual teacher. And I didn't know what that would look like. So part of our part of our mission is to be talking to speaking to people who claim to follow Jesus. Like we see Jesus in a very different way than many people do. And and that's okay and you know it is what it is, but we'd like to raise awareness because really I think solving the problem if you will, the quotes problem of homelessness is really just us if everybody that had a spiritual faith was just kind, just very simply said hello and made eye contact with homeless people, mm-hmm. can you imagine what a, what a great difference that would make in their lives? And then maybe then the opportunity to reevaluate like, well, why am I still choosing this? Why am I still choosing this life? Like there are some other options for me, but there's not going to be any other options if the general public keeps shaming them with avoiding eye contact, with avoiding talking to them. So my call is to everybody who follows Jesus is to love your neighbor, the highest call that Jesus gives us. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. But we feel like we're not loving ourselves. People aren't loving themselves in this country. They're so self-absorbed in their own stuff. I mean, isn't that universal in any religion, though? I mean, like, isn't, it, isn't it God, is. whatever it your is. God is, is yeah. supposed to be present in yes. in every being, mm-hmm. whether yes. it's a, a fly or a human being? Right. Or, like, isn't isn't that sort of a universal principle of, yes. of most religions? Yeah, I'm not just saying Christianity yeah. is failing in this place, for sure. No, it is every, every religion. But it, it's complicated a little bit more in Hinduism and because of the caste system, but... If everyone listening who had a faith just committed to one day a week spending 10 minutes out of their you know, week to talk to a homeless person, mm-hmm. you don't have to give them money. You, don't have to, you just talk to them, ask mm-hmm. them some questions. Wow, what an awesome movement that would be, mm-hmm. right? So without legislation, we don't have to – We I know that there's many facets and Anne was such a great and interesting guest and a Anne bright, Rose, bright yeah, woman. Sure. Um, 
But we're just simply saying, hey, you can start today, right now. Pause on your lunch break and go out and find somebody who is less fortunate. Okay, I want to speak to the point about the eye contact and saying hi. So I'm from Minneapolis. And when I moved to New York and then I moved here in California, the, the coast, people don't say hi to one another if you're going, you know, if you're in the parking lot at the grocery store and walking up to the... Californians don't do that. I remember when I was in my probably 19 or something, and I went home, and I'm walking up to the grocery store, and this woman's coming out, and I can't, I've i never forgotten this. She goes, hi. Yeah. I'm looking around like, what the hell? <laughs> What's she on? Right? <laughs> but then I was like, it's just basic. I mean, I think in the Midwest, people are kinder than they are on the coast. Maybe they're not in is such a big a hurry. Maybe. Mm-hmm. But I think... The feeling I had when she acknowledged me was the point. She acknowledged me, and I'm a perfect stranger. Yes, yes. So I totally get they have their guard up, their protective shield, and then if you go, hey, how you doing? They're like, what? Yeah, which is what you do to the guy on the bench, as you said. On the bench, Before you came over. So so to, to Mary's point though and just continuing the the question so we, we would love to hear from you how how has it changed you guys what what difference has this work made in in your lives well uh, i'm a very firm believer that we cannot change what we're unaware of mm-hmm. and so what it did is it raised my awareness to not only i like i i never even saw them i, I never noticed a, a dirty kid before i noticed homeless people with shopping carts and you know stuff like that, but and um, and and I want to think that I was kind, but I certainly wouldn't have gone out of my way mm-hmm. to oh I need to take a minute and go acknowledge this person. So now that I know not only who they are, but I also know the story. And regardless of how they want to tell it, I know what's going, what happened, what's mm-hmm. going on behind the scenes. Because you don't end up in this lifestyle when you had really loving parents. And I really believe, Joe and I believe that love is the answer. Love is the answer for all homelessness. Mm-hmm. So, and, and to that point, I mean, you, you, part, part of what we have been talking about, and, and, and I respect your take on this in terms of the addressing the problem versus the, the sim- sort of disease symptoms, if you will, and how do we address the, the disease, so to speak. And again, it's just the vernacular I'm using, sure. not that it is a disease, but I'm saying how do we solve this before the symptoms being homelessness in this case, come to the surface. So in this case, you know, Joe, your story with your adopted daughter, your daughter, let's just call her your daughter, mm-hmm. is is a perfect example of the step before. Because that's what I've been trying to uncover, at least me personally. I know Mary, you've been talking about this, and Richie's been, you know, going. my personal agenda, so to speak, in this discussion or in, throughout the series is – you know how how do we address this before it happens? Is there a way to 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 nip this in the bud before it happens? Like, what's the step before? Like, what you happens? Why are you giggling? Yeah. No, 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 because I because Denise has <laughs> Denise has uh, a calling for speaking to young people. Yeah, she has a idea that if we're connecting with kids in middle school or high school, yeah. and affirming their value. Yeah, but you were that, doing that with your daughter. I mean, look, I was doing or, that or were you daughter. a completely different person in the in your past life, so to speak? Well, I mean, looking I was, back, do you I think you were quite a, a bit more? I was quite a bit more uh, self-absorbed in my success. 
Mm-hmm. And to your point, Mary, about uh, folks in Southern California here that don't make eye contact, that don't say hello, that don't acknowledge you, I think in raising my kids, I used to believe, oh, the weather and the beach culture, it's awesome. But man, in Southern California, we are so driven and so living our lives so fast and so self-absorbed. When I had my big house, I'd like, I'd go home, open the garage door, drive in, close the garage door. I wasn't connecting with Mm -hmm. people. So I was trying to keep all my stuff together. And I spent the vast majority of my time worrying about keeping all my stuff. So with my daughter, it was my my daughter. I don't know. Do you guys know anything about the Enneagram? Are you following? I am a seven. I'm a seven also. Perfect. Seven's in the house. All right. We will smoke the weed you brought me later (laughs) and talk about sevens. Thank you for that gift, by the way. Hey, for future Reimension Radio guests, if you bring me weed, I will be much smilier. And thank you for doing that, Joe and Denise. Yes. They literally brought me a gift. Thank you for that. Right on. So, yeah, so Enneagram, you're a seven, and? And Mackenzie is an eight. Okay. So, Which I know nothing about. Okay. I just know so uh, uh, eights are, are they're, uh, they're the boss. They, they, they have a hard protective shell around them and they're tender insides. They don't reveal to very many people. Mm-hmm. So Mackenzie, the challenges that she faced in early in life, abuse, neglect. Uh, we You're talking got about her, zero through three yes. then. Well, yeah, we got her when she was two. My ex-wife and I got her when she was two and then we formally adopted her at three. Okay. It was just a challenge, a, 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 a great, great challenge. Now, you know sevens, we try to avoid pain and we move toward fun. Hey, I'll be home when it's fun to be mm-hmm. here again. And what ended up happening because I was traveling around the world photographing these awesome weddings. Yeah. My ex-wife was stuck at home um, becoming more and more depressed because Mackenzie was just like the Tasmanian devil in our home. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if part of the experience that I've had is to be a bridge between these kids who were very connected to and their parents. Because even with uh, Zoe's ashes, when her dad, Jim, came down to the show, he's like, I want to thank you guys because you made a difference in Zoe's life. Like she talked about the kindness that you showed her. Mm-hmm. And we talked – she and I talked about photography and it was really cool, a cool but experience. But what I'm trying to get to the bottom of here, Joe, with, and I appreciate that, but I just want to make sure I'm clear on this. Like if it was – like I know my wife and so if one of my kids was like, okay, I'm, I'm – done i'm going out on the streets i'm just you know i'm not you know subscribing to your way of being this that and the other like my wife she'd be like hell no you're not like i mean she would you know you go out fine we're picking you up you go out fine we're picking like it there would be this and and whether it's love or tough love or whatever you want to call it like and and again i get it like you want to give people the freedom to be who they want to be but in some cases uh, just what, from a from a parent's perspective, like I can't imagine just saying, "Okay, see ya." Mm-hmm. You know, like I raised you, and this is what you want to do now. Fine, f you go. You know, like I, I, I don't, it's I don't get, I don't get that. that. Yeah, no, it wasn't at all like that, Steve. It, it was a it was a constant battle every day. That then uh, we couldn't. I chose not to keep her at our, in our home because it was causing so much conflict, and we put we placed mm-hmm. her in then a a. a, a full care facility and so mm-hmm. when she turned 18 she'd always wanted to know about her mom so she she when the county gave her her mom's birth her mom's contact information her mom bought her a one-way ticket back to connecticut mm-hmm. and, and so then Mackenzie finds herself in connecticut on her own terms and gets sort of kicked out of there because mm-hmm. she's not she hadn't been easy to be with yeah. up until this point so would the and you're 
Denise, you're kind of jumping out of your chair here a little bit. So what, what are you thinking? I want to give you an opportunity here. to. So um, <laughs> I think as parents, uh, we can be a little bit delusional thinking that we can control our children. Uh, up to Help. A, up Help to a certain, our children. Up to Help. a certain age, we right? can control them. Yeah. It's control. You're saying we would go get her regardless of her choices or what she wants to do. We mm-hmm. will control the situation and get her back. Well, Is that about us wanting a, them to subscribe to our way of being then? Does it absolute, kind of go back to that? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And any kind of controlling behavior comes from a state of fear. And that drives people away. So you actually mm-hmm. have to do the opposite for the best possible results is like – Honey, here's what you're facing. It is your choice. You're 18. Yes, you can do what you want to choose. I want you to know what you're going to be looking at, and I want you to know I'm here for mm-hmm. you when, if you're in trouble. You call me. Oh, Mackenzie was very – she always knew regardless of how we would find her. I mean we don't go look – we wouldn't go look for her. But the condition that we would find her in with sores all over her body mm. and track marks all over her it's arms. It's got to be heartbreaking. And, oh, it's – literally just cry walking away from her yeah. and knowing she's not ready. Every time we would see her, we would say, honey, you know, you can come live with us. You, it has to look like this. And no, nope, not, don't want it. Don't want that. Mm-hmm. <coughs> it's Excuse difficult me. to maintain yeah. that state of mind as parents that you do want to help them because they're your children, but you have to say you I'm the safe place for them to land when they're ready. Right. Right. Just like God. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that's why we talk about this work as sort of celebrating the prodigal journey. So there's a story in the scriptures of of the prodigal son and takes his inheritance and goes and wastes it, so to speak, and yeah. then comes back to the father and is embraced without even having to confess all of his sins. And he's welcomed back and a robe is put on him and a ring is put on his finger. And his and he's, brother's mad. And his brother is mad, <laughs> yeah. right? His brother is mad. So the brother sort of represents our, our culture. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, we're doing everything right. We're paying our taxes. We're paying our medical stuff. We're paying our rent. And, you know, we're, we're suffering and we're struggling. And why don't we get this welcoming treatment so to speak. And mm. so we're here to reflect the father's love to these kids who are basically ignored by many, many people. So let's, let's talk about the project, um, specifically the, the Dirty Kids book, right? <laughs> and I mean, I assume that if, if, if it is your, you're helping in so many ways, but I, I assume that there's a, a bigger something at play here that you're hoping for the book to do and uh, just talk about the talk about the book, the Dirty Kids uh, photo. What would you call it? A photo journal, photo essay, yeah, photo the, what would you, photo book? I guess just because it's literally just chock full of amazing photos of these dirty kids. So just talk about that project and what that means to you, and why you're doing it, and and how people can help. Cool. The book that I showed you yeah. was a sample that I made to like a prototype of what I had imagined. It's gone a little bit further now. So that, that book I made to show the kids on the street when we're approaching them like, hey, we've probably photographed other kids you know. So it gave us a quicker in rather than us having to uh, build that trust with every group of people that we were photographing. So I, I postponed the actual making of this book until I had a little bit clearer picture of what I wanted it to look like. And now I'm really cons- – now I'm clear that I want it to be a spiritual a, a spiritual book with the lessons from these kids is on their prodigal journey and raising the awareness 
with church folks. We want to be speaking in churches. That's, uh, that's a strong calling I have. In fact, when we spoke in a church in Tennessee, Denise had the idea, let's dress up like homeless people and let's test Let's test the water here at this, at this place. So we did. We dressed up like homeless people. We watched people walk around us. And that's a, that's, um, that's a huge and alarming place to find yourself. I know our guest, your guest Silo last week was talking about the shame yeah. that he experienced. Yeah. Just that awareness. After we got done speaking, people came up and confessed how they moved around us, how they were so sorry. Wow, how can we support the work you're doing? Our big vision is to have a piece of land, uh, perhaps hundreds of acres, where we can bring kids in and immerse them in loving therapy. Uh, that's, Mm. That's ultimately what we'd really love to do, someplace that has train tracks going by so kids will be able to hop off. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so is, is part of that plan to create a, a non-profit mm-hmm. and we're in the process of doing so that we're in the right process now. of creating mm-hmm. that non-profit mm-hmm. right now mm-hmm. and so this this so this book because it's uh, again the uh, it's a prototype i mean i get that yes. it's just yeah i get that it's not released then mm-hmm. it, but it's the, the pictures in there are amazing and so i would venture to guess in the next step is to take that uh and actually then tell the stories like you're saying yes. of yes kind of how the kids maybe ended up on the streets yep. and what, you know, what they're about and, and so on. So you're, you're really going to take this to uh, another level then in terms of actually yes. telling their stories and, and so on. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Steve, you know, even in the book where you saw where there was a piece of cardboard mm-hmm. and words written on it, yeah. that w- that, those uh, words were, came from the prompt, what do you want the world to know? Mm-hmm. Like you have an education that the majority of us don't yeah. in living on the street. And oh, the, that's what that sign That's is. what those signs are. It's uh, their words okay. that, so that mm-hmm. was. So how can we help you then at this juncture to support you guys on your journey? Like what, what's something that our audience can do? Is there a, a website they can go to? Can they, what, what do you want our audience to do to help you on your mission of creating this uh, you know, this this home uh, of getting the book in front of more people once it's released, et cetera. What 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 should folks do? Well, people can find us at newparadigmoflove.com, and that's our website. That's our coaching website. And there's a page on there called Entertaining Angels Project, and that's what we call this project. It comes from a scripture in Hebrews that talks about grant hospitality to everyone you encounter because you may be entertaining angels. Unaware. Unaware. Mm. Wow. So we see these new paradigm of love. Mm -hmm. Correct. And And so to support yourselves, you're still, are you still doing the coaching then? I mean, is this, or are you guys no longer working in any way uh, in terms of making your own money? You're just living off of what you, I just curious if there's any way that folks can support you in the work that you're currently doing. Yeah. In the work. In addition to that. Yeah. yeah, And the work that we're currently doing is um, more relationship work. So I'm uh, a best-selling author of, mm-hmm. of uh, Real Passion Revolution, and uh, we, I have a very— Is that the name of your book? That's the name of my book. So Real Passion Revolution yes. is the name of your book. Yes. Okay. Got and it. even though I wrote it with the intention of, of it working with intimate, these intimate relationships, it all, all the tools in there apply to every relationship that we have mm-hmm. that would— that will heal it. Yeah. So, and Joe, um, what are you? But on the website yeah. uh, is we're going to start a Kickstarter program this mm. month in November, 
And there's an opportunity. Joe just did a whole thing where people can donate to specific kids. Oh, wow. And uh, or click on that donation and donate that amount. And but just for them to have a face to this is these are the people that we will be helping. Mm -hmm. You know, if we we have a second. Yeah, we've got about two minutes left here. The the idea of giving money. uh, I know money is like holds many, many people back from giving because they're like, oh, they're just going to buy a drink. They're going to just buy a drug. I, I'd like to reframe it and put yourself in the shoes of the person that, who's on the street. If, you know, and then a stranger comes up and gives you money, would you want the stranger to give you money with strings attached? I mean, would, would you? Or would you rather be able to receive the gift and go, okay, I'm going to use that however I want? Yeah. I... We've heard so many kids be so grateful for the little bit of money that we give them. They say, I'm going to buy some food and I'm going to share it with my friends. And we've seen them do this. So even the little bit of money, some folks may go off and buy a drink or drugs or whatever, or they may buy a bottle and share it with all their friends. And that's Mm -hmm. a possibility. Mm -hmm. But the heart of giving is um, a heart of releasing whatever is going to be done with that money. And I believe that our God is a God of graciousness. And whenever we give, we cannot outgive God. So if your heart compels you at one point to give some money to somebody on the side of the street, follow your heart. Mm-hmm. Our head and fear get in the way of a lot of good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again... When you want to s- fix this whole thing, don't I, you? You know, I, I mean, I think... Look, when we started this series, the idea was let's first of all bring awareness as much as we possibly can to the situation. As I said uh, early on, I didn't expect that we would find solutions, so to speak, but that talking about this issue would would at least help us move in that direction. Again, kind of just the analogy of turning the light switch on. You know, let's just turn the light switch on yeah. for some folks, and I mean myself included. And, uh, and Mary, I, I know this has been impactful for you and Richie, I know you've been super quiet back there, man, but I know, uh, I know you're, I know, I know you're taking it all in. So it's, uh, it's just, um, I can't think of a better way to, uh, to wrap up this, this first series, because I'm sure we will do this again, but to wrap up this first series here on, on reinventing homelessness and, uh, and really the work that you guys are doing, uh, in bringing your own awareness to the to the dirty kids and to uh, you know just the the, the people let's call them what they are I mean the people that you're working yeah. with right is um, is nothing short of extraordinary so really Joe and uh, and Denise I mean just thank you for the work that you're doing and uh, again folks check out newparadigmoflove.com and uh, as things evolve for you hopefully we'll be able to have you back on at some point here down the line. So for Mary Goulet and uh, for Richie Ote and Boy Wade holding it down the studio and Kelly back home at headquarters and Steve Olsher, we'll talk to you guys next time here on Reinvention Radio. Take care, everybody. You just got dismantled. Thanks for listening to Reinvention Radio. For more information about the show and your host, Steve Olsher, visit ReinventionRadio.com. 
Attention coaches, authors, speakers, and business owners. Please pay close attention to what I'm about to say if you want to secure massive visibility fast and generate thousands of highly qualified leads without spending a dime on advertising or marketing. The easiest way to make this happen is to appear as a guest on the world's most popular podcast. We recently came across an awesome resource that provides detailed contact information for 240 new media influencers who are looking for guests just like you. It's called the Ultimate Directory, and for a limited time, you can get the preview edition of the directory absolutely free. That's right, for free. It's time for you to get the visibility you and your business deserve and connect with the world's leading icons of influence who can make you famous with the push of a button. Get your free preview edition of the Ultimate Directory right now at www.myultimatedirectory.com That's myultimatedirectory.com